And this will be Samson Part 5. So I could have come up with more original titles, but um, I figured we'll just continue with Samson. That's the, the way we've laid out this study uh, in the book of Judges as we've gone through different judges. And as I've said uh, time and time again, that Samson is the one that's written the most about. And so we've broken these messages out into uh, stuff as we've gone down expositionally here through the scriptures in that. Um, I did want to say... This is, uh, I think, for all of us this week, a difficult week in our state with the tragedy and um, evil that rose there in in Lewiston on the 25th here on Wednesday. And it has been quite uh, a time and will be for the next days. I would request that you would keep our law enforcement community in your your prayers as well and those that will be investigating uh, this horrific uh, crime that was committed and I just uh, I know that some of them are under great pressure um, on Wednesday night I got a phone call advising us that this is what has happened and what's going on and they were mobilizing people from all over the state to go there and um, they put us as chaplains on standby for that and um, thankfully it was several down in the state that were able to participate on the ground uh, Roger was one of them Roger Labby I was in contact with him throughout the last uh, days, and um, he was uh, used of God in in several ways to comfort people, um, to make some notifications, very hard things to do. And I I said to him, Roger, you're right in the very place that you need to be (laughs) uh, in the the midst of that. And sometimes we don't understand, uh, you know, the, the whole big picture of why things happen, and I know... There's a lot of people out there would like to blame and, and this kind of that. And, and I just would say that in the midst of it, the Lord is being glorified, not through the uh, act of evil so much as the outcome of what takes place afterwards in the midst of that, in his comforting and in his peace and in his ways that he answered prayer very specifically. And I, I won't go into some of those, but um, I had a member of the, the state police tag team call me on the night that we, he was going back on shift on Friday night, and that's when they found the, the body of the perpetrator. But he called, and we prayed together over the phone. And these guys were under a tremendous amount of pressure, and uh, we're thankful uh, his team found him. And so just things like that that I'm saying the Lord is, is, is magnified in those things um, because we need good people to respond to bad people and evil in general. And I have said that it's much of a theme when we talk about that as we go through scripture. And in this day and age where there's so much unraveling at the seams, and and if you want to lay sort of some of the the deeper picture things, is that I think in a culture, in an America today, we are devaluating life in general, uh, from the womb to all the way up to old age. And everything from our entertainment to what we do for games to what we do in um, activities of various things lends itself to violence. Thankfully, most people don't act out on that. But I will say that when you teach people from the very first moments that they're teachable, that they're not really valuable in the womb or wherever else in that, things come as a result of that. And some of that is, is part of this. I, I'm not laying, I don't know what was in the mind of the killer or anything like that, but I do know that culturally we can expect these kind of things to happen 
when we do not value life or individuals in a sense in that way and we get further from a biblical worldview that that shows us that life is important and that God and his justice and his righteousness are important and as righteousness exalteth the nation sin is a reproach to any people that's what the bible says and so i hope it's a good time to reflect inwardly also for all of us but to seek the lord and that's my prayer today that throughout our state people will be in churches maybe that haven't been in a while these people you know um, and some other things there and god is at work he is very much and i'm thankful for that and i hope you are well that's uh, sort of the just wanted to get that out it's been on my heart this week but uh, we're in Judges chapter 15 and we're in a also a very dark time in biblical history that we're covering period of the judges about 400 years of history in Israel uh, where various um, times of, of what we call the cycle of repentance comes in where the nation as had been conditional to the covenant that God made with them that if they would follow him, he would prosper them as a nation and as a people. And, of course, the spiritual blessings that were on top of that for the Jewish people. And then if they would not follow him or turn away and go back into idolatry, um, that he would allow the enemies around them to take over. And that's exactly what would take place. And then they would, for a generation or so, be under the oppression of the enemy and then they would repent and call out to God and God would raise up a judge and that judge would come and and deliver and really that's the idea of the judge as a deliverer who would bring them back to a place of order somewhat but then they would go right back to that again and that seems to be that cycle and I often say how do you break that cycle and really the only way to break that cycle is Uh, through Jesus Christ and the scripture points to him in the Old Testament and every way we look at it it goes forward to the cross that from the Old Testament the old the New Testament reveals to us who he is and what he's like and that he's indeed God the son who has come to rescue us from our sin to save us from our sin and that's really the message of the Bible You have God creating everything, maker of heaven and earth, and then sin enters into the picture, and then God has a plan for redemption, and of course the end result for those that receive that and are part of that uh, eternal glory in heaven with him, and we look forward to that, and that's the message of hope, and that's the hope we cling to, because you won't find anything of great lasting hope in a temporary world. And that's something that there are more realistic and solid things, and that would be the Lord. Anyways, we're in Judges chapter uh, 15 again, and we're going to read down through verses 9 to 17, um, and we'll pick up from there. It says, Now the Philistines went up and camped in Judah and deployed themselves against Lehi. And the men of Judah said, Why have you come up against us? And so they answered, We have come up to arrest Samson. To do to him as he has done to us. Then three thousand men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock of Etam. And said to Samson. Do you not know that the Philistines rule over us? What is this you have done to us? And he said to them. As they did to me. So I have done to them. 
But they said to him, We have come down to arrest you, that we may deliver you into the hand of the Philistines. Then Samson said to them, Swear to me that you will not kill me yourselves. And so they spoke to him, saying, No, but we will tie you securely and deliver you into their hand, but we will surely not kill you. And they bound him with two new ropes and brought him up from the rock. And when, the, when he came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting against him. Then the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and the ropes that were on his arms became like flax, that it burned with fire, and his bonds broke loose from his hands. He found a fresh jawbone of a donkey, reached out his hand and took it, and killed a thousand men with it. Then Samson said, With the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps, with the jawbone of a donkey I have slain a thousand men. So And so it was, when he had finished speaking, that he threw the jawbone from his hand and called that place Ramath Lehi. Father, thank you for the word of God. Thank you for this story of Samson. And Lord, we pray as we open up the scriptures today, you would teach us and you would help us, O Lord, to be followers of you first and foremost. And Lord, I am grateful for, um, again, your promises that you give to us. Thank you, Lord, that you are the one who is holy and high and lifted up in the midst of a world that is so undone. And we thank you for Jesus, and we pray in his name. Amen. We come to this uh, section, if you want an outline, uh, the first part of this uh, section is the attack of the enemy. And that has been uh, an ongoing thing throughout the book of Judges as we look at it. It really goes back further than that, but you have the attack of an enemy of sorts. In this case, it's the Philistines. And uh, by the way, some have asked of the Palestinians and the Philistines, the same people, and I would just say, no, the name derivation is the same, and it comes from a geographic region. Um, but if you read through the book of Ezekiel, the Philistines were destroyed, and you'll find that um, the modern-day uh, Palestinians are descendants through Abraham, uh, through Ishmael, and of the Arab people primarily, not exclusively, um, but that is a different grouping of people. And some have asked about that. I throw that out only because I've seen that a couple different places. But the, the picture here is, again, if you want to look at Israel today, they have enemies. And in ancient times, they had enemies as well. Um, and our enemies continue to rear their heads in that, in that sense. Now, I have also pointed out very clearly, I think, uh, hopefully, that as far as it goes for believers in the church... Our enemy is not so much a physical enemy, although we may have indeed physical enemies. And, and I would say I'm thankful for those that are willing to meet those enemies head on when they, when they show themselves. But I would also say this, that our, our primary task as Christians is to wage a warfare that is a spiritual warfare. We're, we're called to a higher plane of warfare. And the Bible is, is clear on that. Now, uh, verse 15, or chapter 15, verse 9, it starts off with the word now. All right? And... Sometimes the now just happens, right? It happens always in the now. And that's exactly what goes on here. You have Samson in the earlier part of this chapter. He has taken revenge on his enemies. Remember, uh, they had 
uh, gone and done terrible things. Now this is a cycle. And remember, Samson's this contradictory person, right? He, he seems to do things his own way. He doesn't always do it the way God wants him to do it. And actually, most often, he doesn't. And yet, God uses him in spite of who Samson was in that way. Samson was a strong man, but his strength resided in the fact that God was upon him and working through him, not in and of Samson. And we know later on in, in the story after this of Samson and Delilah that his strength was really of the Lord, and he didn't even realize that in his life. He was, I think, most of Samson's life, he just was all about himself in that way, and he did what he wanted to do, and thankfully God used him in those things. And how much more Samson could have been used of God had he just yielded himself fully to God, as he should have, having been one that was under the Nazarite vow, remember that, who was to be an instrument of God. And yet he did so many things contrary to that vow, as we've learned. And I would just say again that the Lord is able to use the good and the bad, and he's even able to use the, the things that are done in, in sin or in bad attitudes and everything else to still accomplish his purposes. And that doesn't say that God is in some ways flawed, but rather he takes that which is flawed and sometimes sinful and he's able to work a greater purpose for it. And I, I think of that in the context of what happened this week in Maine. Um, and I do believe firmly that God will be glorified in the midst of this. Um, and I, I trust he'll draw people to himself in these days because of that. Um, and, I, and you see that. midst of tragedy. In the midst of devastation. Uh, God does things sometimes. And, and by the way, we're not exempt from that as his people. Israel lived under, in that time, great oppression from the Philistines. And God would raise up a Samson to deliver them. And he would do that um, in various ways. And I find this, again, another interesting story. Uh, Like last week, we were talking about those foxes that had their tails tied. And then he put a torch between them and they ran wild and burned all the crops, right? And that made the Philistines mad. And not only that, Samson had killed men in the process of uh, that and before. And now they're seeking vengeance on Samson. And they go down there to seek him and to destroy him and to do that. And I just want to say we have an enemy. And he is a spiritual enemy, the devil. And he's seeking whom he may devour. And he empowers the world system around us. And has his minions doing that and doing his business. And that world system presses us into its mold or attempts to do that. And there's always a battle going on. And then there's that part of us also that's the enemy within. That's the flesh. And the flesh itself cries out to do what is contrary to God. And there's those three enemies really. The world, the flesh, and the devil that battle for your soul. And they're battling for your soul even now. But yet God has made a way of escape and a way to withstand and a way to be victorious in battle. And we see that throughout scripture. Now, the Bible, uh, we, we know we have an enemy. The, the disciples had enemies back in Jesus' time. Peter, when the Lord said to him, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. Here's the Lord speaking to Peter and just because Peter had been with Jesus and was close to him and everything else didn't mean that Satan wasn't working. The Lord says he's asked for you. 
Do you suppose that Satan has asked for you today and asked if he could work his work? I would dare say he's very much active in our world today and he's trying to thwart um, the very fact that we're meeting together in the Lord's name and studying the Bible. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, Paul talks about this as well. Unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. In this case, Paul recognizes some kind of physical infirmity in his life that he connects with uh, the buffeting or beating of Satan in his life. And he had an enemy and he knew that. And in this case, he said it was there and he had called uh, other times upon the Lord to deliver him of this. And he didn't let him get delivered of it, actually. And why? Lest I be exalted above measure. Sometimes God wants us in a place where it hurts and we suffer and we grieve and our hearts are broken simply so that he can use us again in our humility because he can't use us in our pride. I wish it was different, but so often it isn't. And I speak that personally because too often it's so through the hard things of life that God gets my attention when if he would have just, in, in the little things in life that he screams, as C.S. Lewis said, it's in our pain that he screams to us because we re- recognize him finally in those things. We are called to a higher plane. And in uh, Ephesians chapter 6, Paul writes there, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And you say, what does the whole armor of God look like? Does it, does it look like you know, ballistic armor that you might wear as a combat soldier going into battle today or a police officer searching for a, a murderer? Um, no, <laughs> it's a spiritual armament as for a spiritual battle. He says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Just like the Philistines were there and they had territory that they had expanded into and were taking hold of in Israel, well, God says the spiritual realm is no different. There are ways that the devil gets into our lives in various corners of our lives and sometimes directly as an on, in, as a onslaught. He says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God. And, and may I just say it this way. When Paul says this, he, he doesn't just invite you to do that. He, he says, do it. And that's what it says there. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. What's the therefore? Therefore, it's therefore because Satan is out working against us. And there are principalities and powers at work in our world today. And if anything, this should drive us to our knees and to our prayer closets and our times where we are alone with God to call out on behalf of him. And it says that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand. Can I also say it this way, that when evil and evil comes into your life and you are not prepared for it, it is awful. And you cannot stop all evil coming into your life. It can't. You're in a world that is filled with it and filled with people who will commit evil. And yet, 
you can turn around and be ready for it when it comes. There's certain measures in that. And the one for spiritual preparedness, when you are faced with these things, you just, hey, it comes out because you're ready. I have shared with you Mark Breeden, uh, his story. He was here years ago um, when he was alive. Um, one of the uh, early, really, teachers at MBBI. I had a privilege of sitting in his classes when he was in his 80s. And I appreciate to this day the classes I had with Mark Breeden. I was actually in his final class as a full-time teacher at MBBI and when he retired in his mid-80s. And I remember him telling us as young men, and he would say, men, you know, guard your hearts. And he, would, he was a, just a gentleman through and through, and he knew the word of God through and through. And when Mr. Breeden prayed, you, you really sensed that he, was, he knew God. You know, he really knew the Lord. And I, my freshman year at MBBI, I would get up early sometimes and I would um, look out my window and his home, Mr. Breeden's home, was just across the field from where our dorm was. And I would see in his little, little tiny home, upper office, I would see him sitting at his desk. He was always up early and he was getting ready for the day and he would spend that time preparing his heart for the Lord uh, and, and for ministry and for teaching and I think it made a huge difference and an impact on us in that but you know the story of Mark Breeden and in um, he had a daughter who was 18 years old and she had gone out this was on graduation night I believe in 1970 I had gone out 69 or 70 had uh, gone out and um just a group of friends, nothing bad going on, anything like that, got in a car, and she was tragically killed in a car accident. And the RCMP officer that had to do the death notification came to Mark Breeden's door, knocked on the door there in the early evening, and he brought the news to, to the Breedens that their daughter had been killed in a car accident. And Mark Breeden had the presence of mind to quote scripture, and he said... The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Which is the words of Job when he received news of the same. And you know that made such an impact on that RCMP officer. Um, I don't know all this story and all that. But I, I do believe it impacted him mightily um, in this whole area of, of, of Christ. And the testimony of that. And I say that because when the evil day comes, are you ready for it? I don't know if I would react that way, and maybe not. I might just not be able to say anything. I might just just lose it. But we are able to stand. And when Samson goes and seeks refuge, and he hides there in the cleft of the rock of Etam, it doesn't end. The enemy seeks him out now. And by the way, the, the enemy will continue to seek you out. Don't, I'm not trying to be the bearer of bad news. I'm just saying this. Don't give up. Don't give up the fight. Because the fight is not over so long as there's breath in your lungs. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand therefore having girded your waist with truth. That's the word of God. And with truth. You know, there's no, not only specific truth, which we have through the revealed word of God, but there's natural truth. 
In other words, and the two coincide. They don't, they don't differ. You know, we have people today that are, are speaking against nature itself and calling it truth. And no, it's not. The Bible, though, reveals to us the specifics of who God is and what he's like and what we're like. And he reveals to us his plan. And his plan includes you and me and gives us hope. And then he says, put on, or having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Are you living righteously for the Lord? And having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Are you ready and willing to share the gospel with people? Or to live it out even in front of others? Or in front of your family? Do so. I encourage you. It's part of the fight that we're called to. Above all, taking the shield of faith. And that's what faith does. It provides a shield. Fear will come from all directions, but faith dispels that because you're under his shield. With which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all supplication, with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end. Watchful, that's another thing. We get lulled to sleep in our spiritual sluggardness, sluggishness. <laughs> Don't do that. There's so many ways to deaden the mind today and the, the heart. And our hearts can grow cold to things. Be watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And Paul says, for me. Paul, look what he says, okay? that utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak I would say if you're going to pray for your pastor I would say pray that way too I'm not in chains Paul was at the time but I will say this I find it hard to speak the word of God sometimes and to study and to do the things I ought to do because there's a million other things to do that are less important. They may be important, but they're less. And I ask your prayers in that regard. And I want you to be that way too. Pray for all saints, it says. Pray for each other. You need to do that. Be watchful. Be ready and watchful. I thought about that because I had an opportunity, as I said, to to pray with one of our troopers as he was heading down the interstate at 100 miles an hour. And I said, I want to pray with you. And he says, yeah. I said, but are you driving? He goes, yeah, 100 miles an hour right now. I said, uh, better watch and pray then. <laughs> because you don't want to close your eyes at that point, do you? Nor would he have. But I say that because as a brother in Christ, he realized the importance of that. Far more than anything else he could do and offer in the fight. And I'm thankful for that. And we pray. We pray together. We pray for each other. We pray for one another here. Prayer is so important. Do not neglect it. I better move on. The arrangement with Judah, that's the next thing. The enemy comes and says, we want to take Samson. So what do they do? They go to where Samson's located, which is in the, in the territory of Judah, um, part of Israel. And it says, the men of Judah 
said, why have you come up against us? Now they're concerned. Now mind you, the Philistines are their enemy and the Philistines have plagued them now for generations to to oppress them. And they've really become enslaved to the Philistines and now they're worried. Uh Uh-oh, our our oppressors are here and, and there's trouble. And so they answered, we have come to arrest Samson to do to him as he's done for us or to us, which is kill him. That's what they wanted to do. And in Judges 15, verse 11, and, and by the way, that, that will go on. You, you see this, this plan of the attack. They spread themselves out, and the place was at the top of the Rock of Etam. Uh, and they, they go and they, they do that. But there's this concern, and you see the men of Judah. Uh, they're more concerned, by the way, about their their own present well-being than their deliverance from the Philistines. Um, I don't have time to preach on that, but that's a whole message in itself. Because can I tell you something where we're guilty of sometimes? Is we're more concerned about our present situation or our immediate future here than we are about the bigger things and the victorious things like being released from the bondage of the oppressor. And we see that because in this verse it says, Then 3,000 men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock of Etam and said to Samson, Do you not know that the Philistines rule over us? What is this you have done to us? The 3,000 men that take it upon themselves to go down there and to take up, uh, well, to, to get Samson, they want Samson to be brought to the Philistines because they don't want their life upset. If that doesn't speak to us, I don't know what does. Because I see where so often we just don't want our life to be upset. We don't really care, you know, if there's a guy that gets real serious about things, but just don't ask me to be serious about it. And if he does, well, maybe we've got to tone it down a bit, right? Tone it down. That's what they wanted Samson to do. Actually, that's... They wanted Samson dead because they knew the intentions of the Philistines and they just thought, if we get rid of Samson, who was one of them, right? He's actually the instrument God is raising up to deliver them from the Philistines. And and they don't even recognize that. I don't think Samson fully recognized it either, but God was going to do it. And you see all of that going on and you turn and you say, how can you miss that? Because they weren't in a good spiritual spot. And I am grieved and saddened in our country and to our neighbors of the north in Canada when I look and I, I see churches just giving up ground. Spiritual ground, I'm talking about. They can come take your property and you still are a church, by the way. If you're in Christ, you're the body of Christ. The building is just the place we meet. But people are giving up their their ground spiritually oh we won't say anything about that we won't say anything about this because it's going to draw attention to us or even worse it may cause us to get on the wrong side of the law and that's happening in Canada and it happens sometimes here when people take a stand for righteousness it's better to obey God rather than man And there may come a time where you find that in your life, that you might have to do that. 
Do you not know that the Philistines rule over us? And if, if Samson was a man that, you know, he could have just answered back and said, Do you not know that the king of kings rules over us? That the God of heaven, maker of heaven and earth rules over us? The Lord high and lifted up? Really, that's the answer for those that say, yeah, but don't you know the times we live in? And he said to them, as they did to me, so I have done to them. But they said to him, we have come down to arrest you that we may deliver you into the hand of the Philistines. And then Samson said to them, swear to me that you will not kill me yourselves. So Samson's playing on this a little bit. I think he knows what's coming. He said, and I don't think he wanted them charged with his death. He says, do what you have to do, but make sure you're not the ones that are going to kill me. And so they spoke to him saying, no, but we will tie you securely and deliver you into their hand, but we will surely not kill you. And they bound him with two new ropes and brought him up from the rock. And you see here the choice that the men of Judah made. Their choice was they would rather not rock the boat or they would rather not have the enemy, you know, their oppressors uh, upset with them because that might mean they'd have to go to war. That might mean they'd have to lose their property, um, maybe lose their lives. And I can certainly sympathize with that, but is not there a greater cause? We make really bad decisions when we're away from God. By the way, never make a a big decision on a day that you're not walking with the Lord. You'll regret it. You'll regret it. I would say don't even make little decisions. (laughs) Because those can turn out to be big decisions. And they were making a bad decision on a day when they weren't walking with the Lord. In spite of them, God would use it. They go and they tie him up. And... And by the way, the Bible talks about that, that sometimes we know better, but yet we still do what we want to do, right? Romans chapter uh, 1 and in verse 32 here, it says, who, referring to those that do not keep God in their knowledge, knowing the righteous judgment of God and that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. Further you get away from God, find yourself approving of the things that are done, that are wrong. The rise of anti-Semitism in our nation today, that's in the news. And I just recently finished the book on Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I mentioned that a month or so ago. And the times in which he lived prior to the Nazis coming to power and then during that time and eventually losing his life at their hands because he, he took a stand, really. Took a stand for righteousness, took a stand to protect Jews, to speak out against that. And he was, he was committed to prison eventually and executed just before the end of World War II. And I, I don't see much difference in our political climate today as what was going on in 1920s and 1930s Germany to the build-up of some of the same. There were lots of good people. You would even say in a majority because the Socialist Party with the Nazi Party that rose to power in the 1930s 
came to power with less than 40% approval. But as a coalition, kind of, they, they, they made their government, and they did, and then they were in power. And I think about that. There were just a little over 153,000 words written in Hitler's book called Mein Kampf, which in that, his struggle is what it means, it, it also uh, proposed that most of the problems the world faces today is because of the Jew, and he was very anti-Semitic, um, a Jew hater. And that came out in his writings. People should have known better what they were getting when they had him come to power. But I say it this way. For 153,000 words of that book, about 39 Jews died for each word. Your words are important. What you say and what you don't say is important. Speak truth and let the chips fall where they may. Understand that. Speak the truth in love also. We're commanded to do that. But if you do not speak, it's amazing what will come. And I think we need to stand against evil in our world today, speaking the truth in love. We're called to a higher plane. And Jesus drew the line in the sand. If you're not for me, you're against me. That's what he said. Matthew chapter 12, verse 30. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. You think Jesus was a pushover, you haven't read the same Bible I have. He looked at his disciples and he said, you're either with me or you're not. And I would say it's good to be with him because, you see, I've read the rest of the book and in the end he wins. And you better hope you're on his side. And it'll be too late when that happens if you aren't, by the way. Well, we go with this last point. The accomplishment of Samson. Verses 14 to 17. When he came to Lehi, and mind you, they've, they've bound his, his arms and his hands with ropes, new ropes. The Philistines came shouting against him. The phrase came shouting against him means to come shouting in victory. They see Samson approaching as he's bound by his own people, the people of Judah. And they're like, woohoo, we got him. And I, I see that very same mentality today. A little over three weeks ago when terrorists came into Israel shouting and hollering in Arabic. The same phrase over and over again. I won't even repeat it because I feel it is used against people today but uh, they, they did so in victory for having killed women, children taking them away, their men and doing awful things, atrocious things that have come out the enemy is waiting there and he wants victory and when you give up ground when I give up ground in our life Satan is there to say yes we got him I think of that when Jesus hung on the cross. Do you think hell rejoiced? Rejoiced? Absolutely. We finally did it. We've killed the Messiah. 
And if you look at the root of anti-Semitism throughout the scripture, it goes even before the Jewish people. It goes way back to the garden when there were two brothers and there was a 50-50 chance that you could eliminate the Messiah by having one of the brothers kill the other one. And, and guess what? It didn't work. God still had his plan. Cain kills Abel. Well, other brothers come along, don't they? And that continues through the line of the Messiah. And you see the persecution that arises over and over again in the time of Samson and throughout the history of the world. And it's interesting that why is it that the Jewish people are in such focus? Because I, I say this, Satan hates them. He hates them because the Bible is clear that out of that people group when Messiah would come. And I believe he has come very clearly. He has come. And he came up as a, as a lion out of the tribe of Judah. The same people who were willing to give over the deliverer were the people later on that would give over the greatest of deliverers. Samson, we know, was a very flawed, sinful deliverer, and yet God used him. But yet there would come a time when the Holy One of Israel, the one who was fully God and yet fully man, who would be the one who is sinless in every way. He would be given over into the hands of an angry, sinful world. By the way, who was responsible to put Jesus on the cross? Well, you might say, yes, I was. My sin was, because he went to die for our sin. And you might point certain people groups that were there at the foot of the cross, right? It was the religious leaders that wanted him dead. It was the Romans that allowed it and and actually executed him. Uh, But he came to die for the sins of the world. To be our propitiation for our sins. Ultimately, God put him on the cross because that was the plan. I'm glad. Because I need a savior like that. And I imagine hell rejoiced and said, yes, we finally got him. He's dead. But three days later, he rose again. And he is the victor. He is the one. Well, we see that here. And it says, Then the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and the ropes that were on his arms became like flax, that it burned with fire, and his bonds broke loose from his hands. I can imagine the enemy when here's this mighty man, Samson. He's coming along. He's all bound, and they're shouting. And all of a sudden, he just breaks those ropes, and they burn up right there. We're in trouble. <laughs> and that's what goes on. By the way, when you walk in the Spirit of God, there is freedom. Second Corinthians 3.17 says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. He is able to break the bonds of the flesh that grip you. He is able to break the bonds of sin that grip you. And he's the only one that can really do it. At the heart of our cultural erosion in America is a sin problem. And you will never address any fully the mental health issues, all those things, unless you go further back and address the sin problem. And I'm not making light of those who are in that profession who work in that. And it's a hard job what they do and all that. But if you don't have in your toolbox a spiritual understanding of mankind, of humanity, of what we're like at a spiritual level, you can't really solve things. And that's why I believe that we need to know the God of the Word and the Word of God. And ye be yielded to the Spirit of God. 
Because it brings liberty. We're in a great battle. And this is what it says. He, that Samson, found a fresh jawbone of a donkey. Now, this is again another one of those contradictions. Remember, Samson was a Nazarite. He wasn't supposed to touch dead things. Here goes another dead thing. But he takes that which is dead and useless, an old jawbone of a donkey, not old, a new one. It was still nice and fresh as far as the bone. And if you've ever seen the jawbone of, a, of an animal like a cow, a horse, a donkey, whatever, it's quite a big bone. And he takes that jawbone in his hand and he uses it as an instrument for God's justice. And there's a picture there. I would say this. That God is able to take that which formerly was unclean and use it for his glory. And I am amazed when he can use any of us. For his glory. To speak forth his word. And to see people changed at a heart level. And to be repentant of their sins. And to have people stand up. And, and be voices for those who are in need. To stand for righteousness. Who were formerly nothing more than a jawbone of a donkey. It says he reached out his hand. He took it and he killed it. Killed a thousand men with it. I don't think that's hyperbole. I think that that is exactly what he did. He took a thousand men down with a bone. The jawbone has a mighty power, doesn't it? It has the power to kill. It has the power also to bring life. I think of it in the context of what... um, the tongue is described as because it's the instrument in which we use to speak in the mouth, right? And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and is set on fire by hell. That's what James says. That's the negative side. The positive side is this same instrument can, with the jawbone and everything else can speak forth the words of life. And comfort the oppressed and the downtrodden and the grieving. Because God has made us that way. Use your members for good or for evil. Then Samson said, with the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps, with the jawbone of a donkey, I have slain a thousand men. This is Samson's song of victory. Kind of a strange song. <clears throat> but it's a, it's a truth. And it just shows again at the place where it says, Aramoth Lehi, that's the last verse, and so it was when he had finished speaking that he threw the jawbone from his hand and called the place Ramoth Lehi, which literally means the high place of the jawbone. <laughs> and it was there that Samson stood victorious in a place where there was death. And I think of that in the context of Christ. You see, it was at a hill called Mount Calvary, right? A place called Golgotha in the Hebrew, a place of the skull. Probably the place of jawbones. That Jesus would be victorious in death. 
And it will be someday when Jesus returns to this earth victorious on his second coming. And he sets foot again at the Mount of Olives that he will be victorious on that hill. And the whole world will know who he is then. Do you know him? Do you know who he is? Do you know why he came? Today is a good day to understand that and to meet him and by faith receive him. Let's pray. Lord, we echo as the prophet of old who said, I will lift up my eyes to the hills from whence comes my help. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And Lord, we are grateful for that. That you, O God, are the one who is still in control. You are the one who will accomplish your work and your purpose. And Lord, I pray for each and every one that is here today. Lord, you would take your people and draw us to yourself to see the realities of the battle that is before us. It is not a battle of flesh and blood primarily. It is a battle for the souls of people. As we stand in the gap for others. We thank you that you have been victorious and won the battle over sin. And Lord, I pray that others would understand that and by faith receive you today as their Savior. And Lord, you'd work your work among us as only you can do. In Jesus' name, amen.